0: Boom.
1: All we're right, going? we're going All right, dope Hi everybody, welcome to Agitator My name is J. David Osborne That's Kelby Losac, Kelby, what's going on, man?
0: What up? Just uh, about to blast off on a trip Not really I didn't uh, Everybody's been taxed early, So wasn't able to cop as much shrooms as I wanted But
1: How much are we talking about here?
0: Uh, like two grams
1: That's not bad That'd be pretty decent.
0: Yeah, yeah, pretty cool, right? How's that? Uh, how's that baby boy?
1: Mm. He's asleep right now. He um, has a pretty set schedule down where he um, wakes up at five thirty, but then he goes back to bed at eight thirty, and then he sleeps sometimes until ten. Which, uh, oh no, he's wiggling. So we might very well hear some some baby action in this episode. <laughs> so. I'm actually just going to step outside for a little bit, because I think maybe my voice might be waking up. So we are both recording on the cam today, um, so who knows what the sounds are going to be. I can hear people mowing lawns and shit.
0: Ugh. Oh yeah.
1: Thumbs up on the end, you know. But uh, yeah, today we're going to be talking about Itchy the Killer, so uh, before we get into it, so everybody knows, I just now ordered... For 50 bucks, I ordered the Tom Mez book, uh, that's called Agitator, the cinema of Takashi Miike*, uh, which is known as a seminal sort of text for his movies. I tried to get the PDF on all these different download sites, but the only PDF that's around is, uh, like the first 205 pages, which actually cuts off, um, the thing that I wanted to read the most, which is, uh to Kashimi Ike's production diary on the set of Itchy the Killer. Um, So what I was thinking is we could talk about it this episode and then that book's going to come in in like two or three weeks and so in a later episode I can maybe go over the highlights of that production diary because, you know, I want to see what he was up to, what was going on in his mind. (laughs) Hell
0: yeah, hell yeah. It would probably be good to do some kind of a collection episode at some point of like uh, similar movies or like his... Uh, focus on production style or Mm -hmm. something like that
1: yeah yeah but before we get into that um i uh figured that we would talk about a few other things oh damn dude my eggplants are fucking bro there's like five eggplants dangling from my eggplant plant
0: hell yeah the gay shit's already started
1: yeah dude five egg dude this looks amazing i'm gonna take a picture of it and put it up with the episode we're eating eggplants tonight, bro. This is amazing. What all do you make uh, with eggplants? Uh, man, you just like chop them up and then uh, put them in your butt. And then <laughs> no, I don't really know. I don't really know. I'm not a cook. I'm not a chef. I'm also not a gardener. Um, so this is all new to me. I kind of have eggplants now and I'm not really sure what to do with them. So recipes are appreciated. But I was thinking about something that Jeff Burke once told me. You know Jeff Burke, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm not sure what Jeff Burke is up to these days, besides probably not washing his dreadlocks, but <laughs> he told me something that has resonated with me for years and years and years. Sometimes I forget about it and don't think about it for a while, um, and then it'll pop back up whenever I get irritated about this or that book, um, doing well even though the author sucks, and et cetera, et cetera. Jeff Burke once told me that people don't read books, they read authors— uh and that struck me as being one of the truest statements I've ever heard ever it puts a lot of the current books that are popular into context and the reason why people like chuck wendig are so popular because they're able to channel this dorky uh, like nerd vibe that that surrounds their book in a meta sense and so at a certain point it doesn't actually matter if the book is good or not people just want to read his stuff because they are also, uh, dorks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that resonates too. Cause I usually pick up on, uh, authors and then I'll follow that or like directors, you know, mm-hmm. go on a ref and kick or Mike, you know? So.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I recently bought a book by a guy named Mike Ma called Gothic violence. Mike Ma is known for writing a book called Harassment Architecture, and he's this right-wing guy who created something called the Pine Tree Party. Uh, and his books are popular, I think, because they read sort of like Chuck Palahniuk or Bret Easton Ellis, sort of uh, young man uh, mad at the world. Um, and so I picked it up because, you know the the legend around this guy is you know he's on the fbi's terror watch list and he just you know it's kind of a cool uh black metal aesthetic so i picked up this book and i thought you know i want to check out i want to see how the other side lives this kind of goes back to how we were talking about you know the perfume nationalist last time and how i get a lot out of that podcast um so i was thinking hey maybe i'll get something out of this book but I, got, I feel like I kind of got bamboozled, man. Like, the book is just not that good. Um, it starts off really cool. There's this uh, sort of nameless protagonist who's wandering through this uh, Hollywood party, and there's this giant with an executioner's hood that's kind of leading him through this, uh, you know, all these kind of modern-day celebrities who are all coked out and doing crazy shit. And I was like, this is cool. This feels like Bret Easton Ellis, whatever. And then it kind of, the book, and it's called, it says that it's a book, not a novel. So I guess this is partially my fault. But the book then just sort of turns into these almost like essays about what's wrong with the modern world. And, bro, if you follow any like right wing bodybuilding Twitter, like Soul Bra or, you know, the raw egg people or whatever. (laughs) Like, basically, these essays are just those takes, again, you know? And I got really confused by it. And sometimes I like being confused by books like that, where, you know, it starts off one way and then kind of goes off the rails. But I don't know, man. This just felt really... Uh, I got really tired reading it, you know? And I was, I was looking for some edgy, you know, right-wing kind of, uh, you know, takes or, or whatever... And I just, you know, I got to the chapter about trans people, and I was just like, are we doing this? Are we, we going <laughs> to talk about why? So, I mean, I don't know, dude. I don't know. A part of me, like, I don't want to I don't want sound like... Uh, like, I wouldn't dismiss a book out of hand, but um, I don't know, man. It's just, I feel like all the trans people who I know who aren't super online, and these are people who I know in real life, are just kind of like regular people who uh are different in in the way that they approach life you know what i mean
0: yeah yeah no i i get the feeling that like i think everybody i think pretty much everybody does the the crucial problem is the extremely online part or the um or the labels you know whenever uh uh you start calling shit uh anti-fascist or you start calling shit um, I mean you name things Black Lives Matter so if you're against it then you're racist or uh, Mm -hmm. you lump all gay well for one you make like gay and trans and bi and lesbian and like you know gender fluid whatever you make them all synonymous and lump them into one category and then you make everything a monolith then yeah anytime that people whether uh, either ignorant to um, certain uh, people of a different ilk or just uh, say, like, like, I have a lot of issues with the so-called LGBTQ community as in an online entity. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I've known, like, gay and trans and, you know, lesbian people my entire life. Um, mm-hmm. so like, I, I think a lot of shit people take issue with those. Like, they, they, and the they that I'm referring to is just any kind of, uh, just soulless woke libtard on Twitter. Um, yeah. Yeah. they yeah. created these labels, so now that's, that's how we're using it in our vocabulary. So, like, whenever, I feel like a lot of people, whenever they're like, uh, Hating on um, Trans agenda Or whatever I usually don't disagree with them at all Mm -hmm. But I don't Mm -hmm. see it as talking about Like Trans people Like being trans bigotry It's more like Mm -hmm. That um, uh, That narcissistic Agenda of like uh, Basically uh, Well I money schemes mostly like it always turns out to be some kind of you know it's uh, always money it's always some kind of grift
1: (laughs) yeah it's a grift exactly that's exactly it man and it feels like once uh gay marriage got passed connor habib talks about this all the time he's really eloquent about it uh where he says you know back when gay marriage was a thing he didn't want gay marriage to be legal because he's like i like truck stops and bathhouses and <laughs> I, he's like I don't want us to all of a sudden be in this category where we we have to pretend to be straight people um he puts it a lot better than I just put it but that's kind of the basic point point. and it seems like once gay marriage got passed progressives needed a new thing to champion because um progressives don't actually give a shit about improving well I shouldn't say progressives I should say liberals don't actually give a shit about improving the lives of the people who they claim to want to, uh, help. They, they want to have an oppressed class that they can leverage for their own financial and, uh, you know, careerist gains. It's, 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 it sounds really cynical, but I'm pretty sure that that's what the case is, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, man. And so basically, you know, you end up with this shit online where on the left you have people who have the toothless racist redneck who by the way does exist those people do exist i've met them too um and they're kind of put up as this exemplar of everything that's that the right stands for and then conversely on the right you have the like the trans person who's also a pedophile or something you know which does like that that person there's you know there's billions of people on this earth that person has to exist somewhere right um and most of them go on Twitter. <laughs> and then you end up with, you know, this kind of avatar of everything that, that you hate and that you think, you know, the quote-unquote trans agenda is is doing. And it's just, to me, it's just foolish. It's just silly. So, you know, I mean, so again, with this book, I mean, it's not even the ideas that, he, that he's taught. Because, like, I'll read anything, dude. I'll read, um, you know, I'll read Kaczynski's books. I'll read... Uh, I haven't read the Turner Diaries, just, again, because they don't seem all that interesting to me. But what I'm trying to say is the content isn't what bothers me about this. It's just that it feels dashed off and, you know, just kind of like saying the same shit that you can get from a a free Twitter account. Um, And there's no story. There's no story. And uh, there is something to be said for actually taking the time to craft a narrative. And attempt to weave some of these ideologies maybe into a into a structure, and when that when that's just completely bypassed, it just comes off as like kind of half assed
0: yeah yeah i I've, I've been thinking about the same tip lately on this like resurgence alleged resurgence of like outlet 2.0 or whatever because mm-hmm. I'm just like uh, I'm, I'm kind of getting uh more experimental with my shit in the vein of trying to add more narrative to things um Mm -hmm. I'm still not I'm not a plot person but like I there's something watching Miki has kind of actually shown me that like there's something to be said about trying to express yourself within the framework of a narrative Mm -hmm. It, it like creates this sort of rhythm that uh you know, it's like the backbeat, like the uh, the narrative is sort of the, uh, maybe, it, maybe it's the baseline or maybe it's the melody, I'm not sure, like in music terms, but it's something that you can fuck with, it doesn't have to be predictable, but it's the thing that gets people kind of like, into it, kind of bobbing their head, like, okay, okay, um, mm-hmm. so I, I'm... I'm venturing more into narrative territory at this time, where like, outlet 2.0 is being talked about, which is all this like, you know, uh, just autistic grocery list making, basically. And uh, <laughs> <laughs>
1: have you seen the uh, the angelicism writings? Have you read those?
0: I'm not sure.
1: I think they're a collective. I've heard that they might be one guy or one girl or whatever, but. Angelicism on Substack is this crazy shit where it's the some of the the worst writing I've seen in a very long time, and then the next post will be something completely brilliant that I kind of you know I don't really share that much stuff on the internet anymore, but I would if I did. Um, It's just this like I'm fascinated by angelicism because it's this roller coaster. Of completely retarded nonsense um, and like really cringy stuff. So like they had a post recently where they were writing in this style that where they just kept saying on God uh, you know so I'm like on God on God and I hate that kind of tongue in cheek uh, smarty pants appropriation of, of lingo basically yes. like that, that shit really bothers me um, but then you know like they, they dropped five posts yesterday and there was a COVID one that was genius and um, there's like this series that they did called End of the Universe there's five parts and all of that is super great so that's all very interesting to me and the way that it kind of ties in with what you're saying is like if I'm, I'm, I'm keeping my eye on this like altlit 2.0 shit too <laughs> and uh, man I guess it's like anything else it's just a mixed bag you know you have some really if if it's all if it's anything like altlet 1.0 uh the majority of it is going to be um rich kids on opiates um who are like very fashionable and very like like kind of painfully cool um but you're going to have some gems in there too you're going to have your your sam pinks and your juliet ascorias you've mcclanahan's uh Jeremy Dean. Remember that guy?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: He barely wrote anything, dude, and his whole thing was just shit talking all the alt-lit people. Uh I had a lot of time for that guy. That guy was awesome. And then, you know, alternatively, there's the I guess I blocked out the bad ones from from alt-lit, but it was it was most of them, right? It was most of like the people who <laughs> were like trying to be Tao Lin, who by the way Tallinn rocks Tao Lin's great um not so much people who wanted to be talon
0: well it's like you can't rip off something that, like say like Juliet uh, Juliet i don't know her personally but she is always and by all account everybody i trust who knows her is like you know she's really genuine and cool and uh mm-hmm. um she you know just a great writer uh scott mcclanahan has his own appalachian like just uh uh it's not every man's style because i'm jealous of every single sentence he puts out i know but uh it it just some it it, it's it's like a natural storyteller but not from a storyteller perspective like it's the dude up in the appalachian mountains like on a, on a rocking chair like telling a good story uh mm-hmm. and then like you know Sam Pink has his um he's more every man uh more every man funny dude who like just has these very very microscopic observations to make about uh turning anything into something funny or brilliant in a mm-hmm. in a very very um short uh working-class manner, and, uh, uh, and then Tao Lin, you know, probably, like, is actually autistic and does, you know, a whole fuck-ton of psychedelics, Yeah. so (laughs) you you can't... (laughs) It's
1: not a put-on, it's not a put-on. Exactly, and the rest
0: of it's a put-on, is why it's all, like, fucking garbage.
1: Right, right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, now I'm getting nostalgic for alt-lit, because did you ever read live blog Megan Boyle's live oh live blog.
0: yeah that massive brick of like yeah
1: I did not finish that but it was a lot of fun from what I saw I uh but that's my own uh attention span that's not that's not a fault of the book um what were some other I mean obviously like the New York Tyrant books for the most part were really good um yeah, there was a lot of good stuff that came out of that. Anyway, my point is is that it is funny to kind of see this stuff pop back up and it's kind of like the Twin Peaks meme of the tall man where he says, you know, it's happening again. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I've been checking out some, some podcasts that have these uh, these new outlet, uh type people on it and I'm just like, oh. And, th- you know, they're like early 20s, whatever. So, like, I'm, a, I'm the old man now who was... In my early twenties, when version one came around, which would have made them fucking twelve or thirteen or whatever, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just see it all coming around again, and I'm like, oh, I've seen this. So basically, this all ends in tears and sexual assault allegations. This is where this is going for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then the canceled ones are going to be uh, cool and make another resurgence in like another ten years or something. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, or yeah, cause if, yeah. If history doesn't repeat itself, then what'll happen is they'll go through the fire even quicker and it's the perfect time for them to be, like, you know, the edgy or whatever, just accused of being normal people, basically.
1: Right, right, yeah. It's, it's like this person at a party got drunk and, and said uh, rude things to me. Oh, man, damn, that's crazy. That's, uh, we should definitely uh, kill them. We should, just, we should just murder them all. Uh, I remember when all that <laughs> stuff started kicking off in Alt-Lit. It was on Facebook at the time. And man, there was uh, some people who would post just like 10,000 word Facebook posts. Or I think the limit was eight. Maybe the limit was 8,000 words. But just, yeah, these long. And I'm like, these are better than the books. You know what I mean? Like the, 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 fa- the, the surrounding, the meta-narrative of Alt-Lit. Was better than ninety percent of the books that it put out. But uh, anyway, okay, we should probably talk about Itchy the Killer. Um, Itchy the Killer. I just feel like uh, this 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 podcast is uh, also my my time to vent because I'm you know with baby all the time. So just anything that's kind of been on my mind, I'm gonna do a dump at the beginning. I'm gonna take a mind dump, and then we can kind of move on from there. But uh, yeah, so this is one of my favorite movies. Um, I did not watch it for this show because um, Rios and I have been we just got through season 4 of Breaking Bad so that's my rewatch that I'm doing right now uh, one of the best shows of all time still holds up but I've seen Itchy the Killer so many times that I thought it might be fun to talk about it and I'll try to talk about it from memory and uh, see what I get right and see what I get wrong
0: yeah so I have, a, I did, I did rewatch it which I'm glad just because I love watching it and it's been a minute but, um, I have a terrible memory, but, uh, watching this one again, I was like, I could in, in my head, I felt like, okay, I mean, I remember the gist of it. I remember like highlight scenes stand out and then I watched it and I was like, holy shit, this entire movie is the highlighted scenes. Like, yeah, everything from beginning to end is just memorable moment after memorable moment. hmm.
1: Um, and And it's also how it's shot, too, right? So um, I was, when I went back and when we watched Visitor Q, and I've been thinking about other Amie game movies, uh, Gozu, even stuff like, uh, that I think is is really great, like Blade of the Immortal and 13 Assassins. um, This was like, Itchy the Killer was kind of the distillation, not even Audition, but Itchy the Killer was the distillation of this grimy style that he's known for. Right. This is like the straight, uncut, dope, of that kind of uh, visual aesthetic.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which is a very um, uh, colorful, but uh, gritty. Uh, obviously, the content contributes to how gritty it feels. But um, there's a sort of uh, occasional grain that is, uh, in, like, a frenetic pacing that, like, makes it feel trashy, even though it's Mm -hmm. also, like, super vibrant with, like, the, uh, some of the sets and, um, the clothing, like, uh, Kakihara in this, the, um, the protagonist, if you can call anyone a protagonist, I guess, the, um, the... Mm -hmm. The dude with the, the Glasgow grin and all the fucking scars on his face. He's the, um, he's like super, uh, I'm, uh, queer, I guess. And mm-hmm. like his, his fashion sensibility is like very loud and, uh, colorful. But in the midst of all this, like, extreme violence going on and, uh, just walking down, like, grimy, uh, dripping, you know, streets. And it's, uh, in the very beginning, too, like, sort of sets up that, um, that aesthetic with how, like, uh, it it has super fast-paced uh like high grain shots of like just uh spinning around the room of like gangsters and then freezing on uh certain ones i don't know if you remember the very beginning where he comes in Mm -hmm. and says something happened to the boss you know um Mm -hmm. and it it's like uh It's jarring when you first see it, like engaging, but jarring. You're like, is the movie supposed to be doing this?
1: Yeah. And the soundtrack adds to it, too. It's got that great dissonant drum track that's going on through the whole thing. And so you cut between the spinning gears of Itchy's bike and then uh, the prostitute sailor being uh, kind of beaten and raped by her pimp. And then going around this room and kind of, you know, getting the plot fast. And like, this was very much the thing to do uh, post Reservoir Dogs and post Pulp Fiction. This is a very Tarantino style um, where a, a, a relatively simple plot is made extremely confusing by throwing you right into the middle of it and giving you hints about what is going on. Um, the plot itself is extremely straightforward so the the boss anjo uh is killed by itchy um itchy is this kind of uh mentally troubled maybe autistic guy who has been recruited by uh i think it's Gigi, right is the is the little old man who yeah has yeah uh, has hypnotized him um His basically, he's he when he was in high school, they they implant this memory in him that he saw a woman getting raped, right? And what Gigi does is basically remind him of this memory, and Itchy will get very turned on and very ashamed about getting turned on about witnessing the rape. And then he's just like a wind up murder toy, right? Because they'll tell him, Well, this is this guy is the bully, right? This is the guy who did it. And he'll go and use his um, his uh, his super suit that has <coughs> knives knives in the heel to cut people in half, um, and so basically he kills this boss, and we're introduced to Kakihara, and I can never remember the name of like the Everyman, the guy who used to be a cop, um, who has a kid. What's his um, name in this movie? I can't,
0: uh, we can just see. say
1: the cop, I guess. Just uh,
0: say Mr. Kanek. Kaneko? Okay,
1: can, can, yeah. For for whatever reason, that's a, com- that's a that's com- a that's a complete blind spot for me. I can never remember that guy because he's like the least interesting part of the movie. But you you have to have that guy, right? Um, so he's basically a cop who lost his gun and got kicked out and got taken in by the yakuza, and so he's like in this in this gang, but he's kind of the sad sack dude. Um, and the the gang is led by Kakihara, who's the aforementioned uh, kind of queer coded. Um, Scar having uh, intense masochist, right? So Kakehara is this guy who, like, he loves pain. He loves to be in pain. And when the boss dies, I remember when I saw this when I was, like, 14 or 15, I didn't have, well, I still really don't have a great grasp on uh, sexual um, fetishes and shit, like, because I'm super I'm a super meat and potatoes guy. Yeah, very vanilla. Very vanilla. Put a put a, 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 a nice looking woman in a skimpy outfit and i'm like oh, i'm good i'm good i don't even really <laughs> like feet you know um those are the things that you walk on bro um but uh <laughs> but so basically Kakihara loved his boss um and it's definitely slightly homosexual in nature but not all the way uh, it's a bit more complex than, than that because Kagehara loved how much his boss would beat his ass, basically. Like, he loved the amount of pain that his boss could put him through. So he's looking for Itchy. This is like the twist on the revenge thriller, right? Is that he's looking for Itchy not to avenge his boss's murder, but to find a replacement who can, who can hurt him in the same way that, uh, that his boss did. So a bit of a heavy-handed metaphor there about how love works. Uh, I read somewhere that Miki said this movie is a film about love, um, which is a very Miki move. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, that's that's the basic, that's the basic uh, plot of this thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I would I would agree with that at the core on a on a um, a deep uh, animalistic. Uh, spiritual level. I think it's a movie about love. It is definitely a movie about sex and uh, sexualized violence which a lot of the um, essays written about this by like western people are about the uh, just the surface level like um, uh, most of the reads I think are that it's a commentary on um, a hypersexualized violence, or uh, our attraction to violence and replacement of like a sexual attraction, uh, like how we get off on violence or whatever, and okay. um, I, I just feel like that's I feel like that's wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. Um, I I can. see that take I can 100% see how somebody can get that I just uh, yeah no it does feel much more pure and it feels more um, emotional than that uh, because that sounds so critical and also uh, a lot of people consider Itchy the Killer to be an endurance test and it is I, I mean I guess if you're lame but this movie is so much fun. like.
1: Yeah, I know. That's the I, thing. That's what makes it tricky. Like, Visitor Q, I didn't find that fun, right? It's just more kind of nasty. Because Mike can be really slow-paced. Did you ever see Izo, his time travel uh, swordsman movie?
0: I haven't seen that one, uh.
1: Okay, we'll have to watch that one. I've got it on my computer. I can send it to you. But uh, that one is, like, fucking glacially-paced, it's so repetitive and slow. So Mika can do that. It's one of his, uh, well, I might say, worst impulses. But here on the Agitator podcast, we actually love Mika holistically, even the, even the things that bother us, because they all add up. Uh, he's he's basically he's just he's more than the sum of his parts. Um, but yeah, no, I think that that interpretation that these critics have said, uh, is a critical interpretation right i mean that's critics have to distance themselves one step away from the sexual violence um i if i had to guess i would say that mikay does not distance himself from it but kind of looks at it coldly and dispassionately this kind of medium distance where uh, it doesn't necessarily although i don't really care it doesn't necessarily mean that mikay just loves rape and 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 sexual violence um but where he can, you know, film it and and put it in his movies and be like, well, this is what this movie is about, right? This is, uh, you know, it's about love. And and sometimes people experience love through, uh, you know, getting the shit kicked out of them, right? Um, And, yeah, I mean, I think that once you try to wrap your head around the fact that he can be doing that and... Uh, not necessarily have it be a commentary on whether that is good or bad, or whether we are good or bad, people start to freak out a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Like, but, but, but is it good or bad? Is it good or bad? Tell me.
0: Well, and that's because, uh, one, good and bad are things that we made up. It's not, um... I don't know. I I don't feel like, like, good and evil are, like, uh, the things that have always been there from the beginning, which seems to be... That was my problem with Lost, like, when it turned into Mm -hmm. that very, like, uh, Catholic, like, good versus evil theme at the end. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is Mm -hmm. bullshit. I'm done. Yeah, Uh, same. Yeah. I I just don't... That's not... We're too complicated for that to be the age-old, like... It's the timeless battle of good versus evil. It's like more like the timeless battle of existential crisis and trying to understand who we are and uh, Mm -hmm. get along when we're, you know, a massively overpopulated species who is obsessed with individualism. Like Mm -hmm. we're weird. People are weird. (laughs) I mean, Mm -hmm. Just think about that how many people there are and they're all obsessed with themselves Mm -hmm. and uh, That's why I love movies like this that take an amoral stance um, Or any kind of art that takes like a cold amoral stance and just tries to like look at things for what they are Without coming up with any kind of suggestion or solution uh, because it just makes it much more. Um, you're able to engage with it more on a gut level, and like what this. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like how how do you connect with this, and how do you, um, you know, it's a, it's a way for more curious types to explore something, uh, mm-hmm. in themselves, and well, it forces that connection, like to to tie it like to tie it full circle, like with what. I was talking about with, like, individualists who are, like, you know, we're, there's so many, like, individualists. It forces you to connect with something and at the same time allows you to experience it for yourself. It's like, how does this thing resonate with you that speaks to, like, all of us, whether we want to admit it or not?
1: Right. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think that... um you know, there's the other aspect of it too. I remember when I first heard of this movie and I saw screenshots of it on the internet, and the most prominent screenshots used were when Kakiara has that yakuza boss uh, linked up with hooks and is like pouring hot soup on his back. It's soup, right? It's like it's yeah, kinda, yeah, yeah. It's like tempura, or oil tempera. Yeah, yeah, it's like, it's for, like for, the for,
0: tempera
1: for oil. Tempura. Yeah. Uh, so he pour, pours that on his back. So like you see all that. And then there's the shot of Kakihara in the room where, uh, I guess, I forget if it's where Anjo's been killed, but it's with all the gore, and they're, like, all slipping on the gore and shit. It's, like, right at the very beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. That shot is great. It looks like it's from a video game from, like, Resident Evil or something like that, because it's so, like, over the top, and there's... But I remember seeing that and thinking, like, oh, man, this looks cool. Now, what does that say, right? What does that say about me as, as, as a 14-year-old boy? that I look at this, like, uh, Japanese dude with a shock of blonde hair and, you know, the fucking Glasgow smile going on, uh, and he's in this long, flowing velvet coat, and he's standing in a room full of gore, and somebody's hooked up to hooks, and, I, and my reaction is, like, you know, I'm not going to analyze it any deeper than it really was, because I remember just thinking, that looks fucking tight. That looks cool. Um, is it the colors? Is it it the, you know, the beauty of how the thing is framed and how it looks like a painting? Is that what I like about it? Um, Or is there just kind of something appealing about this kind of horrific, cartoonish violence that, um, you know, I don't even know if it has to... I don't even know if it has to go any deeper than that, really, you know? Than just an appreciation for violence. I think we forget that 2,000 years ago, the Romans would have, uh, you know, people burned alive and fucking uh, pulled apart by horses and fed to animals and gladiators fight. And this was, like, in the center of Rome, right? The Colosseum was, like, dead center. And people would just show up to to watch that. So there is this separation with art because obviously it's fake. Uh, Nobody's actually being hurt. But, I mean, I think that's just a part of human nature right we just we kind of like watching violence and it has to come out somehow
0: yeah and it's like it it depends on the framework that it's in like um uh like he is sexualizing violence um but not to uh not for any other purpose than to just do that than to, than to just sexualize violence and uh that's sort of like um, I mean that's that's something we're capable of doing as people like yeah. you know uh, do,
1: you think, do you think anybody finds this movie hot?
0: probably i mean it it, it is very striking visually, and uh mm-hmm. i it didn't make me horny, but um yeah okay probably I mean there could be some people that think uh, uh I'm trying to think of what scene might be. Able to be viewed as hot. Um, uh, if you've got a uh,
1: when when Karen gets her nipples cut off, that's the one. That's oh gosh! It's like oh man. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh man. And uh, even that to me, like I didn't cringe. Um, mm-hmm. I also didn't bust in my pants like you did, but uh, yeah. I didn't cringe. But uh, because it's like. Uh, this this cool balance between like um, unflinching but s- cartoonish, you know, like you said, like mm-hmm. it's uh, yeah. the violence is very um, over the top cartoonish, but at the same time gritty. Which mm-hmm. uh, just from an artistic standpoint, kudos for that like amazing uh, tightrope walk that he did with that Uh, because it's easy for any like say Deadpool Deadpool is just straight up cartoon no matter no matter how much blood no matter how many intestines fall out it's straight up cartoon it never feels like grimy to me Oh, but
1: although I did like that movie I will say for the record
0: oh no I did like Deadpool yeah yeah no it was funny but
1: uh I like when he gets shot up the ass that part's really funny (laughs) (laughs)
0: uh have you ever done ecstasy oh yeah this i think what it uh what it is with this movie is it's like exploring these themes and this type of uh this violent content through uh an artistic lens of ecstasy
1: Ooh, i like that yeah that's good Yeah. Especially with the sort of enhanced colors um, and the kind of, uh, there's an underlying feeling of menacing sexuality to every frame of this movie that I think when Miike's at his best, um, I think when Miike's at his best, no matter what you're watching of his, you feel like you could get raped at any minute. And that's just (laughs) the the best way that I can describe it. You know, like you are in a room with somebody who has the power to, uh, overpower you, right, and and make you experience things that you might not want to experience, and in that way, it's very similar to rape to me. Um, that's gonna that's gonna be uh, when people ask me why I like his movies so much. Um, that's what I'm gonna tell them. It's because it feels like I can get raped at any, at any moment. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but no, man, I think that it's. Um, I really like that. Uh, it's a yakuza it's a, it's a gory yakuza cartoon uh, through the lens of ecstasy man the last time I tried to take ecstasy I was at a rave uh, like you do and mm-hmm. me and my buddies we all um, in, encountered uh, what's the statute of limitations on these things who gives a fuck um, anyway whatever it was it, it was, was 25 with, years ago <laughs> it was 25 years ago and it was cut with something that just had us all we all started puking at the same time and uh, it just put me off of it forever, I think. Uh, now, I, I don't even really like to drink too much coffee, which is kind of crazy when I think back to 10 years ago and the wild shit that I was getting up to. And now I'm like, oh, this cold brew, is my heart okay? Uh, just complete, I've turned into a complete bitch, dude. No, but, um,
0: yeah, yeah, no, I feel you. I'm like, I'm to the point in my life where like, Drugs are so fucking stupid. I mean, I'm not true but like, uh, that's not I, a drug, though. No, Man, that's, no, I that's different. I completely advocate for that for the benefit of mental health and shit. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, like what are kids doing now? Ketamine and Percocet and you know different benzos and shit. And I'm just that's like, that's retarded. And I just if I if a friend is doing something, then I'll you know say something or try to uh, mm-hmm. you know try to just be there but like i, I have to back off around the kids cuz you know it's like well you know if unless you're my kid but if you're not then you know yeah we well, we kid's go through his it ass beat. we all go his through kid's it he's
1: getting his ass beat if he ever if if i ever catch him with any of that shit that's for sure i'm a, i'm going to be a hard line dad about that kind of stuff because you know it's tough you want them to go through I think about all the stuff that I went through in my life, and thinking that my son is going to go through the same shit uh, makes me feel a lot of anxiety. But at the same time, it's got to happen, you know? So it's. Yeah, a, yeah. Just, you just you, you start to realize that, you know, even if you're not a, a parent who's like overly controlling, you almost have to inhabit the archetypal role of the boring, oppressive dad. Just to simply be a counteractive force to the 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 unre, the unleashed id of late teens, early twenties male uh, libido and 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 violence. You know what I mean? Like you have to just even if that's not who you are down in your soul, you have to role play as the as the dad. You know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And. Man, I'm gonna have a time if this. I mean, he's already acts like me in a lot of in a lot of ways, and uh, I'm just like oh fuck, man. Um, so I was just so impulsive, and a lot of things that like I still suffer from were because of decisions I made between 19 and 20. Oh, and just dude, same. you know, just on a whim.
1: <laughs> I really wish that I didn't have the internet back then. I wish that I was just coming to the internet today. Well, that's not true. The internet was a lot of fun. Um, I just wish it wasn't so... I wish I wasn't a writer back then, you know what I mean? Because I mean, when you talk about how people read writers and not not books, there's a, a, a large contingent of people who, you know, my, my first book was a hit, so I got like a lot of uh, attention, and I was at like the lowest point in my life. So... They saw a lot of drunk or high Facebook shenanigans for me that are just kind of embarrassing to think about. And, you know, and that's, like, directly tied to who I am as, a, as they perceive me as a writer. So on the one hand, who cares? On the other hand, uh, yeah, it would have been nice to, uh, to kind of just come to it today when I'm a dad and I have my shit together and, <laughs> and have people be able to figure it out from there.
0: Yeah, yeah. At the at the same time, ain't nothing more boring than a than a parent novelist. <laughs> that being yeah, the brand, so you know.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna have my glass of whiskey before I go to bed. Oh, I'm having some nice scotch before I finish my novel.
0: Give look, me a break, bro. Give look, me a break. look at this uh this drawing that my that my kid did based on the book that I'm writing. Yeah. <laughs> no, they didn't, bro. <laughs> Shut up. You drew that. Genre.
1: That's my favorite genre <laughs> of shit that didn't happen is, uh, you know, uh, that and also, uh, you know, oh, my kid uh, came up to me today and they said, uh, you know, Daddy, I don't understand why everybody's walking around outside without masks. And, uh, you know, like, <laughs> oh, cool. So tell me, tell me that you've uh, permanently brain damaged your child without telling me that you've permanently brain damage your child you know yeah, those those Jesus pictures Christ. of like hey hey this kid thinks that this power box is a, is a, is a hand sanitizer dispenser because we use so much hand sanitizer and i'm just like fuck oh my god <laughs> these are the kids that Gus is going to have to interact with you know <laughs> that he's going to go like, beat up <laughs> He's basically going to beat up yeah yeah if he takes after his dad he will um but uh yeah i was like the weakest bully that's ever existed I don't even know if there's a real name for what I for what I was but like a sneaky shit stirring uh verbally abusive bully throughout high school that was pretty
0: like much a, me like a low character
1: <laughs> yeah 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 friend to no one uh enemy to some and just, <laughs> just like nobody really like liked me but I I could just you know I could just say the things that hurt the most so it kept people away from I don't know high school was wild man it was a wild time
0: yeah I uh, it, was, it was very um, very forming the junior high was very forming for uh, uh, just parts of my personality that have stayed that uh, mm-hmm. I uh, it wasn't it wasn't a race thing but it kind of was in a forced way because um I Sixth grade, I was in this like little hick town, but it's south of Houston. You know, it, it's like, it's a very tough, uh, uh, what do you call it? Not geography. Um, fucking the shit, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, demographic is a, it's a tough, like, demographic to describe. Mm-hmm. Like, it's mm-hmm. a, sort of rural but it's got all this flavor of like Houston you know um, hip-hop crime uh, mm-hmm. big city like excitement whatever but like in a in a tiny-ass hick town and like the school was uh not like not legally segregated but it was very um, like here's the the black and Mexican table and then everybody else is like either nerds or skaters or whatever. And, uh, the, the people I clicked with were d- the black and Mexican kids. And, um, cause they didn't, uh, probably cause they just acted normal, like, right. and right. weren't, they didn't seem like they were trying so hard, like everybody else mm-hmm. was, to fit in with something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I've never cared about fitting in with like one thing. I just Mm want to be free to do whatever, but I had to earn my right to sit there because I wasn't allowed to hang out with them because I was Mm -hmm. white. And so I, uh, you know, got into a lot of fights, physical fight, like I got into a lot of fist fights to like prove my worth or whatever. And, um, and then once I was cool, I was like one of the uh bullies by design, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. the sort of born in the fire bullies. So uh yeah, no, that that was my experience with the whole like um if we're if we're bringing sadomasochism back to like uh school days <laughs> to tie it in with Hitchy the Killer.
1: Oh yeah, I definitely fall on the sadistic side, more on more than the masochistic side. I don't care for pain, um, but it is fun to me to be uh, mean and to to hurt in a sense other people. Um, which is a dark side of my personality that I'm not. I mean, I say that without pride, but it's just honest. You know what I mean? Like I, li- I just like mean shit.
0: Yeah, I. Uh I'm weird, I like, I, I guess maybe I'm both, because um, I, uh, I love to fight, uh, I love fist fights and I don't like to lose, but uh, I, I do like pain, actually, <laughs> when uh, Erica and I, one of our first conversations, and I can't remember what I said to her, but like, um, before we were dating, just uh, when we first started talking, she was like, you're a masochist. And that was in like one of our, probably the second time we ever spoke to each other.
1: <laughs> mhm. And it was just love from then on out because she was like, "And I'm a sadist, so we'll get along just fine."
0: Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. It's a match made in heaven. I thought it
1: was. I thought it was weird when I first met y'all and she was putting cigarettes out on your thigh. I thought that was weird, but you know, you know
0: it's just a, just a thing, just love. Yep. Takes all kinds of forms. It
1: takes all kinds of forms, and that is the that is the moral of it. you the killer. How would you, uh, out of ten, what would you give this one?
0: A ten, for sure. Yeah, it's this a ten. It's a 10. Yeah, a ten. Might be my favorite movie ever.
1: Yeah, it's definitely up there. It's um, and we'll I think we'll talk about it more. Um, we're coming up on an hour, so I'm gonna cut this off here soon. But uh, I think that this movie has a lot more to talk about. Definitely, once I get this book in and read the production diary, I might have a full episode just about that. Um, what do you want to talk about next time?
0: Uh, oh, yeah, I ge- yeah, I guess you picked this one, huh? Um, mm-hmm. let's see. Let's, so we've done uh, a breakdown of Mike and kind of why we love him. Uh, mm-hmm. we did his super, uh, endurance testy fringe visitor queue. Uh, did a sort of pop candy, violent, itchy the killer. Um, should we study a more serious one next time? Uh, sure. Uh, audition, maybe.
1: We do audition? Yeah, why not? We'll we'll play the hits. That'll be good. That'll give me a chance to talk about uh, Ryu Murakami too. Um, who wrote the wrote the book and the script for Audition, and has some other really great books like uh, Piercing and uh, Coin Locker Babies. If you check out Piercing, I think it's like a hundred pages. It's like an R sized novel which uh-huh. by the way uh if i could just go on a quick riff here kelby and i write very very short books which are not super in vogue in the united states because the united states is in this weird position culturally with relation to books where it people either don't read or they want to read uh big books right they want to feel like they get bang for their bucks so they want to read like three four hundred page books if they read anything at all um But novellas and short books are very popular in South America, Europe, and Japan. Um, So a lot of books in translation, whether it's Bolaño or, in this case, uh, Ryu Murakami, not Haruki Murakami, but Ryu, um, they're very short. Um, In the Miso Soup is another one that's really great. Uh, And they're just these quick books. Uh, uh, Who else does this? Uh, Fuminori Nakamura uh, does Mm, this mm -hmm. with, like... The, the thief and the gun and books like that, um, so Murakami's uh, *Piercing* I think is is really worth checking out. In addition to *Audition* and um, *Audition*, if I remember correctly, is not one of my favorites. I think it's a pretty limited hangout. I think it I think it hinges a lot on the twist or the you know just that ending scene, but it's uh, definitely worth looking at more in depth. So. Yeah, sounds good to me, man. Cool. Bet. All right, that'll do it. Bye, everybody.
0: Later.